pray this finds you having a wonderful day, and we're looking forward to getting into the Word um, as we get ready to look at another one of the miracles uh, that Jesus has been part of. And this miracle is going to be the miracle of the paralytic. Um, this one has a soft spot in my heart um, because when I was blessed to um, be able to go to Africa and do some mission work in southern Africa, this was the story that uh, I used in my storytelling. Uh, we would, uh, each one of us were uh, given the task of taking uh, one of the stories that we see in Scripture, one of the miracles, and being able to tell it in a way that it was understandable uh, to the indigenous people. And this was the one that I chose uh, because I love the message um, that this story carries from the idea of faith, from the idea of interceding, um, all of that. I love this story. And so I'm uh, looking forward to getting into the Word on this one. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 2. And it begins in chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together there. Um, and there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. So the scene is set here, and it is Jesus teaching this large group of people, um, and he was at home, and the people began to gather around so much so that um, you would guess that not only was the house kind of filled up, but on top of that, they were probably standing outside the doors, um, or outside the door, outside the windows, and everyone was just kind of packed in, trying to uh, just find a close enough space in order to be able to hear this man. Uh, again, uh, this is near the beginning of Jesus's uh, ministry, so he is still very intriguing to a lot of people. There's still a lot of people that are wanting to gather just to be able to hear him um, because of the uniqueness of what he is bringing and how he's teaching. And so there is a massive crowd that has gathered here uh, to be able to hear this. Now, we see in verse 3, um, that it just kind of goes right into the story here. It says, They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. So it doesn't really give you a whole lot of background of what's going on here. What we find is that there is this man who is a paralytic. And, of course, that means he's not able to uh, walk. He's not able to get to Jesus. But somehow, I'm guessing that these four people, and maybe even the paralytic himself, have somehow heard about Jesus. They have heard about Jesus's healings. They have heard about how that um, there is this man who is able to um, heal people from any uh, sickness that they have. And I think a lot of times um, the beauty of what we see at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry is how people are willing to just, as the old proverbial put, all of their eggs in this basket of faith. Um, 
there's I, I don't know that we could say that these uh, four that were carrying this paralytic had somehow, some way, a guarantee of faith that that they knew beyond any shadow of a doubt because of proof of something previous that Jesus was going to heal this man. What they done is they put, again, the, the eggs in the basket of faith saying, we don't have any other option. And we're going to go here and... I know this is going to sound crazy, but I want you to kind of follow me on this. I believe that they were wanting to put Jesus on the spot. I think they were wanting to come to Jesus and say, listen, we are, we are putting all of our faith in you. You have to do something. And the reason why I say it that way is because I believe that that's how Jesus wants us to come, in, to, come to him in prayer. I think what we do too often is we come to Jesus in prayer with our fingers crossed and our faith is more of a, uh, boy, I hope Jesus will do this, rather than us coming to Jesus and saying, listen, you are the one who is in control. You're the one who is all powerful. You're the one who is is the only one who can do this. So I'm putting this at your feet and, and I'm trusting you're going to do something. You know, this goes. This reminds me a whole lot about the story of Abraham. Um, if you go back in Genesis 12, when God told Abraham to kind of pack up and go and leave everything, Abraham goes and, you know, he goes and he finds, you know, he's, he's where God wants him to be and he sets up an altar and he worships. And then all of a sudden, there's a famine that comes in. And the first thing that Abraham does, or Abram at that time, the first thing he does is he packs up and he heads towards Egypt. But God never once told him to do that. See, what... Abram should have done was said, okay, God, I packed up everything. I left everything that I had. I left everything like you told me to do. And I came to this place and now I'm here. And guess what? There's a famine. So you know what, God, you better show up. You better do something because I was obedient and you called me here. So now I'm here where you want me. What are you going to do about it? And I think that's how we're supposed to come into prayer. Because that's what God wants from us. God wants us to be completely reliant upon Him. You know, when my children, especially my youngest son, when he comes to me and he asks for something, he doesn't ask for something with a hope so. He asks for something because he knows that Daddy has the ability and the power to do it. When he comes to me, he says, Daddy, I need you to do this. He turns around and walks away. And it's not because he's being disrespectful. It's because in his mind, daddy is the be-all, end-all. He can do anything. And that's the way we're supposed to come to God in prayer. That's the way we're supposed to come to God in faith. And that's what these four right here are actually showing. They're saying, listen, Jesus, we're coming to you because you're the only one. You're the only one we know of that can take care of this situation. And so I think we can learn so much from them. Even though there's not a whole lot of background with this, I think that we're able to read into this and be able to see some serious depth in their faith. So look what happens here in verse 4. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laid. So they come. Now, I don't, I don't know that we can we can be able to say that people were just very disrespectful or what. But, you know, I just kind of look at this situation. If there are people that are carrying a man who is paralyzed on a mat, and they're saying, hey, excuse me, can I get through? And people are not willing to let them get through. Um, 
man, that's pretty harsh. Um, so I don't know if that was the case, if they even tried. It really doesn't say. It just says that they weren't able to get through. Uh, maybe they just simply saw the crowd and said, okay, listen, we ain't got time for this. Um, we need to do something quickly. Um, so if you know anything um, about the uh, history of the houses, a lot of the houses had flat roofs because they would go up onto the roof. They would have like a, 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 an area where they would have, um, you know, potentially, I guess, uh, they would have some plants. They would be able to host some guests up there, whatever it may be. Um, they would they would utilize the roof in a way that we would not. And so they go up to the top of the roof. And again, I want you to understand, this is not something simple. All right? They are trying to carry, and, and there's a possibility that there was a set of stairs. We really, you know, it's not one of those things that we know 100% sure. But you've got to, again, understand that these men have not only carried this paralytic, but now they're carrying him up on top of a roof. This is no uh, easy task. And not only are they carrying him up on top of the roof, they're going to remove the roof. What they're doing is they are removing every single obstacle that is in their way. And it's because their faith is driving them. See, when our faith is absolutely driving our prayer life and our daily life, Nothing is going to get in our way of getting to Jesus. And what happens is we allow our faith to kind of come off of it a little bit. We allow our faith to become tainted a little bit. We, we let things affect us and get in the way. And when that happens, what we find is that we're not as driven maybe as we need to be. Our prayer life isn't as driven. You know, I've challenged our church members over the last little bit concerning prayer. And I've asked them, I said, when was the last time that you actually wept over an unsaved person? When was the last time that you prayed and you let things affect you to the point that it broke you? Uh, it seems like what we do is we've just kind of got this idea of prayer. And even our faith is just kind of one of those, okay, you know, I, I, God, I trust you and I'm going to leave it here for you. And we just kind of pack up and move on. But it's one of those things that our faith needs to drive us in a way that uh, nothing is going to get in our way. We are not going to let obstacles because, again, these guys are probably tired. They could have looked at and looked at the paralytic and said, listen, we've done all we can do. We've done the best we could do. We tried to get you to Jesus. But as you can see, we can't get past this crowd. We can't do anything. But these men never once saw an obstacle as an obstacle. They saw it as a way to just continue and pursue and move forward. And they moved to the point to where they said, we are not going to let anything stop us. Look here in verse 5. Seeing their faith. That's important. We're going to get to that. Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, does that mean that... If there is someone that's unsaved, that I have the ability because I have faith they can be saved, that my faith can save them. No, that's not what this is saying. What I believe that we're able to see from this is I believe that the paralytic had faith in and of himself. But I believe what Jesus was doing was Jesus was teaching a lesson here about the, the, the powerful concept of interceding. This, to me, is equivalent in, in today's time as me taking someone to Jesus in prayer and praying that obstacles are removed. 
knowing and being involved in this person's life. All right, let's say there's an unsafe person that I know. We'll call him John. All right, here's a man named John, and he and I have befriended each other. He's unsaved. And I began to see that there's certain things in his life that are really causing him um, difficulty in trying to get in touch with Jesus, to be able to let the Holy Spirit really move in his life. I think the equivalent today is me going to God in prayer and saying, God, uh, John has a lot of questions. I pray that you allow me to be able to have the wisdom to answer those. Help me to know the scripture to be able to sit down and talk with him. God, I know that his family is not very supportive of this, but I pray that you help him uh, to be able to see that he's got other people around him that are going to be supportive. God, I know that his work schedule right now is not allowing him to do fill in the blank, but God, I pray that you would be able to let him get a promotion or let him have this to where his work schedule can adjust fire a little bit. God, I pray that you would open up some opportunities for he and I to be able to maybe meet once a week for coffee and be able to sit down and talk and do some discipleship. Uh, It's those kind of things to where we're saying, God, I don't want there to be an obstacle in the way. It's not that you're just going to pray, hey, God, John's unsaved. I pray that you save him. It's, God, I want you to let me be part of what you're doing. I want to be involved. I want to make sure that you use me. I want to make sure that there's no obstacles in the way. So it's not so much that their faith is what saved this man. It's that uh, Jesus saw their faith. And he says, because of your faith, because of your interceding, because of you bringing him, because of you not letting any obstacles get in the way, you brought him to me, and now he has an opportunity to be saved. I think that's what we're seeing with this. And so Jesus tells him, son, your sins are forgiven. And again, just imagine what's going on here, because I want to ask you this question. And we kind of know the scripture here from what we're reading. Did these four people who were carrying this paralytic come to Jesus with the purpose of his sins being forgiven? I don't think so. I think they just simply understood that Jesus was someone who can heal people that are sick, people that have disease, and I think they were adamant on making sure that they got this man to Jesus so he could be healed from his paralysis. So imagine everybody in the room when here's this paralytic and everybody's got this kind of, oh my gosh, we're getting ready to see something amazing happen. This paralyzed man is going to get up and Jesus doesn't even address his physical needs. Jesus simply just looks at his spiritual need. Think about the, the, the pulse in the room. Everybody would be like, oh, what in the world? Number one, are you not, it, it's Captain Obvious, Jesus. Are you not paying attention? The guy's paralyzed. Why aren't you helping him and, and healing him? But what Jesus is doing here is such a far deeper uh, lesson. And it's not just for the paralytic. I believe it's for the, the, the ones that were carrying him. And I believe it was for the crowd and it was for uh, all of the religious leaders there. Because look at verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their heart, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So what Jesus has done is Jesus has used this situation that these four, or these men who have carried um, this paralytic, he's used this situation to create a teaching moment that he himself 
is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. Because he is saying, your sins are forgiven. So look in verse 8. Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, in this situation, Jesus shows his omniscience, his all-knowing, by being able to understand what the scribes were thinking in their hearts that this guy is nothing but a blasphemer. They didn't publicly say this because notice it says they were questioning in their hearts. So it's not like the the scribes and the religious leaders there were screaming out, blasphemer, blasphemer, and everybody was being able to hear it. But Jesus, because again, we understand that God is omnipotent, he's omniscient, uh, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all-present. He's showing the scribes here I am God. I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in your mind. I know what you're thinking. And he reveals that to them. And so not only does he show them that he's God by revealing their hearts uh, and their thoughts, but he tells them, I'm also God because not only can I forgive sins, but I can make this paralyzed man get up and walk. I can do it all because I'm God in the flesh. I am the Messiah. And so Jesus is using so many... um, opportunities here to show them who he is. He is using this opportunity to be able to um, just openly show who he is in his his ministry now. And it is causing such a ruckus for everybody because now they're looking at it and saying, oh my gosh, we've never seen anything like this. We're seeing a man who can read someone's minds and, and hearts We're seeing someone who is saying he has the ability to forgive sin. We're seeing someone who can look at a paralyzed man, tell him to get up, and the paralyzed man gets up and walks out in front of us. We saw it. We didn't hear about it. We actually saw it with our own eyes. And the beauty of all of this is that it causes people to be able to sit down and say, you know what? We can't deny it. We cannot deny what we've saw. We cannot deny what we've heard. And so Jesus really utilized the opportunity of the faith of these that brought the paralytic. He used that as an opportunity to really showcase to everyone around him that he truly is the Messiah. And it's such a beautiful story, such a beautiful message that comes into it to be able to see the power of faith and so I encourage you that if, if this is something that, um, you know, you're looking at in your own life, I encourage you to sit down and say, where am I at in my prayer life? How am I really interceding for others? Is my faith really strong enough to where I'm not going to let obstacles get in my way, but I want to make sure that I'm able to um, come to God in prayer with intense faith, understanding that that's what God wants me to do. As the book of Hebrews says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. 
I think that's one of the things that we just don't see anymore. We don't see boldness in people's prayer lives anymore, especially within the context of the local church. I think it would be wonderful if we started seeing the local church being bold in their prayer life as a group of people. Um, That would be phenomenal. And so that's what I encourage today is that you're able to really allow God to minister to you um, with this story in Scripture to be able to challenge your heart in prayer. Uh, And I pray you go out and do something with it. I pray that you don't just sit down and say, man, that was good, but to be able to say, God, help me to to be able to apply this. Help me to be able to uh, let this really work in my heart. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you. If it has, I encourage you to share it with someone. Uh, I encourage you to be able to write a review and give it a, a rating to be able to help it get out there a little bit more. I also pray that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that this has really challenged your heart and helped you to understand um, that you need Jesus in your life. And I pray that it helps you to see that uh, you know, you're know you a sinner, um, that you understand that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that you understand that you can't get to Jesus in any other way uh, with any works or anything else. Uh, it's a matter of Jesus had to pay your sin debt on Calvary, and he did that. He went to the cross on your behalf. So I pray that if that's something that you feel like God is working in your heart, that you need to be saved, I encourage you to contact me or contact somebody else that you know is a follower of Christ and allow yourself to uh, be able to uh, talk to them and understand what it means to repent of your sins and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. Look forward to uh, getting into the Word next week. pray this has been a blessing to you, and I pray it's been an encouragement to you. We'll see you next week as we get back into the Word.